Unless you've been under a rock the past few weeks, you know the major news story has been Russia's takeover of the Ukraine. You've been blasted with a media narrative, which does have some ring of truth, but it isn't the whole truth. And what you may have missed is a threat to your future, your finances, and also to your liberty. There are three important points you must grasp if you are to understand the war underway and learn how to protect your family. First, this is primarily an economic war, at least as the West is waging it. We've warned about this for over a decade, and now we see multiple headlines validating our analysis. Second, while the Ukrainian people are suffering the consequences, the larger war is between two different worldviews, and neither of them is good for your liberty. In fact, there are two dystopian visions, and if either were to get the upper hand, we lose our freedoms. Both are bad. Third, the short and long-term implications are much greater than you have imagined. This conflict, seemingly half a world away, will impact everything, changing our relationship with China, accelerating some trends we've highlighted, altering the course of history, and making millionaires of some and paupers of others. How you react will make all the difference. Point number one, the world has changed in some dramatic, unseen ways. We started warning about this 15 years ago, and I had the task of educating our government on the new form of conflict we call global economic warfare. The paradigm has shifted completely, and it's important that you understand it. To illustrate the point, here are a few headlines gathered recently. From the UK Guardian, the West has declared all-out financial war with Russia. What does this mean? From Bloomberg, to punish Putin, the world turned finance into a weapon of war. From CNBC, the West is trying to destroy Russia's economy, and analysts think it could succeed. From Globe and Mail, West wages economic war on Russia with unprecedented sanctions. From National Review, watching the Russian economy collapse before our eyes. From New York Times, investors weigh the effects of the economic war on Russia. And from Politico, the West declares economic war on Russia. It doesn't matter if you're a leftist or a right-winger, American, Asian, European. To anyone paying attention, the West is applying the very sort of economic warfare that I've taught about for years, and it's happening just as we predicted. This is an important understanding. But what is interesting is that while the West is waging all-out economic warfare, the Russians are rolling tanks. It is literally a clash between 21st century and 20th century warfare, although with an unexpected twist. Russians undoubtedly have undertaken cyber warfare, and the impact of that is yet to be seen. We'll cover more about that a little later. The bottom line, though, is we have yet to see the outcome regarding whether or not tanks can beat economic sanctions. They each have their strengths and their weaknesses. In 2014, I wrote a book titled Game Plan, How to Protect Yourself from the Coming Cyber Economic Attack. If you haven't read it, you should pick up a copy. I reread it recently, and it remains remarkably current in many respects. What is understated, however, is the degree to which a government might use the same economic and financial weapons against individual citizens to coerce their desired outcome. For example, the very same weapons being used by the West were brandished recently by Trudeau in Canada against the trucker convoy. He relented rather quickly, but the statement was clear. If you don't bow to the government, you will be cut off from polite society and also from any economic connections. 
Someone probably should have told him that COVID was the last serious crisis and an economic war with Russia over Ukraine was the next focus. But don't miss the point. Western governments are intent on using economic weapons against individuals and governments alike. If you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or even think the wrong way, you'll find yourself on the receiving end of an economic onslaught. For individuals, this means that you could lose your job. Think I'm kidding? People are labeled as haters and they lose their job simply for making a comment. In addition, you can be removed from social media. Restaurants may refuse to serve you. Well, banks may cut you off. If people feel sorry for you and want to help pay your bills, your GoFundMe account could be confiscated. It's all rather intimidating and that's by design. For Nation, it's the same playbook, only on a grander scale. The impact of cutting off Russian exports and access to financial markets is astounding. Some estimate that the Russian economy will be cut in half. That's beyond a depression. Assets in the West have been frozen. Yeah, there's rumors Disney cut off the Russian movies. Russian television is banned, and to top it off, the international competitions will no longer allow people to enter Russian cat breeds into cat shows. No, I'm not kidding. With the sanctions, will they be able to reverse Russian aggression? That remains to be seen. Maybe banning cats will eventually have an impact. Here's the funny thing. While Vladimir Putin put his nuclear forces on high alert and moved a real army, our armed forces stay focused on sensitivity training and getting service members' pronouns right. The focus is on trans rights, not military readiness. Have you ever wondered whether the soldiers from a prior era could beat a modern fighting force? Well, that's sort of how things are playing out. Only the difference is they fired live rounds while we closed bank accounts and canceled their Netflix. It's important to note that Putin and his cronies know we'd resort to economic weaponry, and they wargamed it. Russia has decreased their dollar holdings and ramped up ties with China. Sure, their stock market has crashed, but the value of their oil rose sharply, if they could find buyers. They've laid foundational relations with other countries that don't care what America thinks, and they've been intent on building a coalition capable of challenging the West. In 2008, Vladimir Putin ordered a financial attack on America. We saw Russians dump their treasury-related holdings of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to cripple us in the bursting of the housing bubble. Russia eliminated its foreign debt, built up its gold reserves, and understands that America owes $30 trillion and depends on foreign lenders and also foreign energy. Further, Putin sees our modern financial system as vulnerable to sophisticated cyber attacks, the type that Russian hackers are expert in. Here's the problem. We, in the end, may be more vulnerable than Russia to economic warfare. It's just that no one other than China has dared to unleash it on us yet. And that may be the other shoe to drop. So rather than becoming smug about our recent economic success, we should be extremely cautious and somewhat introspective. If a hot war heats up, we'll be challenged severely. If if not, and it's cyber economic, it's unleashed on us, we'll learn how vulnerable we are. So far, China has held back, preferring Western wrath be focused on Mother Russia. But the final acts have yet to take place. We mustn't forget that our use of sanctions has blowback effects. We're already reeling from 7.5% inflation, the highest in decades. What happens when much higher oil and gasoline prices hit home? Fertilizer prices are going through the roof, and that will show up with substantially higher food costs. Add to that the reality the Federal Reserve has to slow raising interest rates because of the war. This could make the 1970s look like a picnic. 
While we remain arrogant, assuming we rule the world, our enemies recognize our vulnerabilities and have strategized how best to exploit them. This will impact you, your family, and your finances. Don't get caught off guard. We need to take a break. When we come back, we will explain the sinister forces at work on both sides of the Ukraine war and what you must do to protect your family. The important thing to understand is that there are two dystopian forces battling to the death with the Ukrainian people caught in the middle. Don't mistake what I'm about to say for a defense of Vladimir Putin or Russia in any way. Putin is a KGB thug who will do whatever it takes to get what he wants. He once even stole Robert Kraft's, owner of the New England Patriots, Super Bowl ring. He asked to see it and then he just took it. That's a tiny illustration of how he thinks. Over the past decade or so, I've written or spoken multiple times about how dangerous Putin really is. Here are two examples. Ten years ago, my blog was titled, Putin Wants Russia and China to Join Forces Against the West. I also co-authored The Bear is Back, the Center for Security Policies book that warned of Putin's reset and what America must do to respond. I've also made it clear that China looms as a larger threat that must not be ignored, and Russia and China together are lethal. We should have separated them when we had the opportunity during the Trump administration. We couldn't due to the whole Russia collusion narrative pushed by the anti-Trump forces inside and outside the government. But it is what we should have done, as I explained in a blog I wrote in July 2017. It's titled, If This Isn't the Trump Doctrine, It Should Be. But Putin bad, Russia evil, is nowhere near the whole story. The media wants to focus a single narrative to push their agenda. I'm here to share the whole truth and help it make sense. By the way, just an aside on the Putin bad, Russia evil mantra, you should know that how it's getting really absurd. I mentioned cat shows banning Russian breeds to punish Putin's aggression. That will surely cause those Russian tanks to stop in their tracks. No, the bottom line, let's state unequivocally that Vladimir Putin and Russia are the bad guys and also state that the Ukrainian people and their leadership are the clear victims. And I'm not opposed to using economic warfare against Russia. But again, that's not the whole story. What most people are missing is that this is a worldwide struggle for power between two dystopian forces with Ukraine caught in the middle. Putin claimed that he was the good guy marching in to defend Christianity. I kid you not, he used that excuse to invade. Putin defending Christianity, that's about as much as Xi Jinping doing so in China. The reality is that Putin wants control in the Orwellian sense of the word. Like the book 1984, like the book Animal Farm, Big Brother controlling everything but with the elites at the top enjoying the good life. In Animal Farm, it's the pigs who run everything and they get the special goodies. In China, it's Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. In Russia, it's Vladimir Putin and the oligarchs. World domination is on the table, and it will be a strictly controlled society using technology far beyond Big Brother, anything the book 1984 could imagine. The people are controlled through a mass surveillance state combined with social credit scores. In the Orwellian nightmare, sex is tightly controlled. That's true in Xi's China and Putin's Russia as well. All three despise any form of promiscuity and look down on homosexuality. Let me quote from an essay titled Sex and Love in George Orwell's 1984. Through its control of marriages and sexual mores, the party resembles a conservative religious institution. By attempting to control people's loyalties and loves and redirect those toward itself, the party posits itself as the end and the ultimate salvation. 
In reality, it's all about complete control and manipulation. Putin is not defending Christianity or morals, even though he adopts that language. Rather, he's grabbing power and control. And the same is true from China. This is Orwellian dystopia, and it is distinctly different from Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Opposing it is a good thing unless you want to supplant it with another dystopian nightmare. Unfortunately, that's the case. And this is a battle that has been raging for nearly a century. In the 1930s, Aldous Huxley wrote a book that I had to read in high school titled Brave New World. It was weird and scary and futuristic, nothing like the science fiction of Star Trek or Star Wars that I loved. Instead, it told of a society where a big global government called the World State runs everything. The total control aspect was similar to Orwell's books that would appear in the 1940s, but the world state got there quite differently. In fact, it was so different that it sparked a debate between the authors Huxley and Orwell, as noted in the New York Times. And I quote, in a 1949 letter thanking Orwell for sending him a copy of 1984, he, Huxley, wrote that he really didn't think all that torture and jackbooting was necessary to subdue a population, and that he believed his own book offered a better solution. All you need to do, he said, is teach people to love the certitude. The totalitarian rulers in Huxley's book do this not by oppressing their citizens, but by giving them exactly what they want or what they think they want, which is basically sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and lulling them into complacency. In Brave New World, drugs are not only legalized, they're highly encouraged. So is sex, with as much promiscuity, orgies, and exploration as possible. The goal is best described as, well, a worldwide open society without national borders. But whoever you want to be, male, female, it doesn't matter. And by all means, the brave new world indoctrinates children into eroticism as early as possible. If you accidentally get pregnant, have an abortion, the world doesn't really need extra babies. Doesn't that sound familiar? It really is what we're seeing the West right now. Let me read a commentary written several years ago. It says, This brave new world, conceived by Aldous Huxley as a totalitarian technocracy, which is characterized by rigid and clearly demarcated social stratification with cradle-to-grave brainwashing through hypnotic sleep teaching, the negation of the motivation to rebellion through the absence of war and conflict, and the destruction of the family unit with mother and father figures absent and lifelong relationships non-existent. Personal freedoms are sacrificed for safety and the pleasure principle reinforced by the use of drugs, soma, feelies, and by unconstrained sexual gratification without emotional context. Science is thus used by a ruthless and faceless government as the ultimate weapon to subvert the individual's desire for self-determination. In other words, it's all about a society controlled by science and scientists for your safety and the willing exchange of personal liberty as long as you get open sex and legal drugs to feel good. There's a prescription for everything, and you're required to take it. This creates a dictatorship and global concentration camp that people willingly adopt. Science is the religion. There is no 
no individual ownership because everyone belongs to everything else. Brave New World sounds like what we're seeing in the West today with the Great Reset, global governance, LGBTQ movement, indoctrinating children, the push to legalize drugs, a pharmacological solution to every ailment, sex without babies, the push to follow the science. All of that's a mass psychosis. This represents the Joe Biden, George Soros, Anthony Fauci, Klaus Schwab approach. They appear to literally be following the Brave New World roadmap. If people get out of line, you just, you don't kill them, you just cut them off from society. When you step back, it's obvious that this is the clash happening right now over Ukraine. Putin claims he invaded to protect Christianity, and by that, he openly means he wants a rigid and, on his terms, a moral society from his big brother viewpoint. He will enforce this with brutality as needed. That's 1984, an animal farm. On the other side, we have the Western powers openly admitting that they want to defend Ukraine in order to establish and preserve LGBTQ rights and enforce the scientific dictatorships needed to stop climate change. They don't want to fight a real war. They prefer economic sanctions to cut the bad actors out of polite society. No Russian cats allowed at cat shows and all that. We'll take another break. When we come back, we'll explain this further and tell you how to protect your family. We've been talking about a clash of dystopian worldviews. It's Aldous Huxley and Brave New World, as represented by George Soros, Joe Biden, and the World Economic Forum, versus George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm, represented by Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. Here are a few headlines to consider. From Vanity Fair, the fight for Ukraine is also a fight for LGBTQ rights. From LA Times, will Russia bring its war on LGBTQ people to Ukraine? And even from Britain's MI6, the head of UK intelligence service says Ukraine war is about LGBT rights. And another one from CBS, forget the bloodbath. What about trans rights in Ukraine? Let me ask, does it seem strange to you to make this the issue so front and center? Absolutely. It's horrible that Putin attacks LGBTQ people or any people. And it's important for the West to defend human and human rights. But the focus on LGBTQ exposes one of the sharpest differences between worldviews. The West is following Huxley while Russia and China follow Orwell. By the way, it is both interesting and validating to see George Soros call out both Russia and China of late. He knows they're Orwellian and a threat to his desire for an open society. You can catch the same worldview clash in comments made by former senator, presidential candidate, secretary of state, and now climate czar John Kerry. Instead of being worried about the loss of life in Ukraine, in an interview, Kerry seems much more concerned that the world would lose its focus on climate change. Russia doesn't care about climate change. They pump and sell fossil fuels. By the way, I don't think George Soros, John Kerry, or the Brave New World care that much about climate change either. They just like the scientific dictatorship that it provides them. If John Kerry really cared about the environment, he wouldn't travel everywhere on his private jet. It really is about control. And they're using the ESG investing narrative to enforce their form of dictatorship. If you aren't familiar with ESG, go back and watch episode 176 with Glenn Beck and read the economic battle plan. We also went into greater detail in episodes 165, 166, and 167 also. ESG is one big part of the very real clash of dystopian visions. And tragically, Ukraine is caught in the middle. The West seeks to install their vision via sanctions and has plotted a color revolution inside Russia to overthrow Putin and in China to remove Xi. 
They're hoping to tempt Russia and China to join their brave new world. They're also plotting a total reset of our economy, including the digital dollar. We explain that in episode 146. By contrast, Putin and Xi Jinping are collaborating to defeat the West. They've developed parallel systems to evade economic sanctions and will use military force and any means necessary to achieve their objectives. We must be prepared for China to invade Taiwan as act two in this war. This is essentially unrestricted warfare and could include cyber attacks, espionage, destroying our electric grid or cratering our financial system. Our intelligence community knows all of this and is right now warning about those attacks. After all, if Russia will bomb the world's largest nuclear power plant, what else might they be capable of? These are clearly dangerous times. Putin claims to be defending Christianity while killing innocent people and plotting to rule the planet with an iron fist. On the other hand, the West claims to be defending freedom with a sinister plot to entice the world into a technocratic collectivist nightmare. So what do we do about it? First, I suggest we all stop and pray for the Ukrainian people. They're literally caught in a war between two powerful opposing forces. I fully agree that we should stand against Putin's aggression and use economic weapons at our disposal. But our motive should be to preserve individual liberty, not to enforce a brave new world order. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I do know there are serious threats from both sides. Here's how to protect your money, your family, and our culture. First, expect cyber attacks from the Russian camp and maybe even supported by the Chinese. Look for an attack on our financial structure because that is the weapon that we're using against them. Putin has long described uh, our financial system as a threat to him, and he wants to overthrow the dollar-based system. I wrote about this extensively in the book Game Plan, How to Protect Yourself from the Coming Cyber Economic Attack. In it, I recommend a few strategies. They're simple things, like keeping paper copies of your bank and brokerage statements. They can serve a proof of your holdings if things get shut down for a while. After 9-11, I needed those to go to the bank to prove I had the money I had. You should also consider how your investments are allocated. The book has a chapter on inflationary environments and how to respond. I don't give specific advice in the book because there's no way to know your situation. But there are some general concepts that tend to work in various scenarios. There's portfolios with energy, materials, precious metals, and defense stocks that tend to perform better during inflation. While there will no doubt be changes, I do not expect the war over Ukraine to be resolved simply. In fact, if this is a gigantic clash of dystopian worldviews, it's going to be a long war. That's why we strongly suggest that you find a like-minded financial advisor who's well-versed in these issues and ready to help you address them. Unfortunately, there aren't that many advisors who understand what's really going on. That's why we're launching Economic War Room Advisor Training at Liberty University. If you have a financial advisor that you like, please nominate them for training at economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. If you don't have an advisor, find one and send him or her to us for training. In terms of protecting your family, the appendix of Game Plan has some important thoughts about making certain your priorities are right. This isn't window dressing. Having the right mindset is necessary if you want to make it through the challenges ahead. In addition, the book has some suggestions on things to stockpile in case of a short-term emergency. You can find that on page 217. And we went into much greater depth of what you might want to keep on hand in episode 106 of this program. Download the battle plan and look for the list on page 66 of the PDF. 
You'll want water, cash on hand, extra food, medicine, toilet paper, pet food, access to power, and so forth. You'll need all these things, maybe even iodine pills. In terms of protecting our culture, you have to be a part of the small ships that stand up, speak out, and work together to promote constitutional liberty from a Judeo-Christian family-oriented worldview. It's okay to reject both Huxley and Orwell. They're both evil. One is the sort of enemy within and the other is the enemy on the outside. And the oath of the Constitution says to protect it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. While Wall Street's promoting the brave new world through ESG investing, we recommend LSV, standing for Liberty, Security and Values. You can promote all three with your money. You can help LSV investing. This is a part of weaponizing your money, your giving, your spending, and your investing. We'll also need to listen for the code words of politicians as we approach the midterm elections. Remember, follow the sound, science sounds good, but may be used as a cover for in, instituting a, a Huxley-based elitist technocracy. What we've seen is science is supposedly changing now with the political winds shifting. And just as we predicted in the first episode of the new year, the science now says to stop worrying about uh, masking and all that. The new threat is Russia and climate change. Amazing how that's happened. Learn where candidates stand on issues of individual liberty versus the collective. Did they use Orwellian or Brave New World technology to threaten or seduce you? Look for candidates who support the Constitution as written rather than selectively interpreted. Limited government, individual liberty, economic freedom, support for families, belief in national sovereignty. These are the strong signals, and we want to avoid unnecessary foreign wars when possible. We certainly don't want to be caught in a clash of dystopias. We need to make our case to Russia. So here's the recap. We're in an economic war. There's a battle between two dystopian visions. Neither is good for you or your family, and we must prepare, and we can fight back with economic weapons of our own, as we explain each week on this show. You can get a free copy of this week's economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. It recaps the episode and provides you specific action steps to take. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.